In 2009, I decided my core values are adventure, growth, and contribution. And my guiding principle is loving, joyful adventure. Everything I do is guided by these. Yep. Super nice club member. <clears throat> that came out weird. It's water. Hey there, super nice club member. This is nice work. It's a podcast of the super nice club. And our mission is simple. It's just to make the world 10% nicer. I think we can do it. This podcast takes a look at people who have managed even just a little bit to align their personal passions with their careers. It's not always easy to do. Um, a lot of us are still working on it. So I'm going to try to inspire you along those lines. I am your host, Todd Brilliant. And today, um, today we're going to talk to, well, it's really tough. It's tough to do a podcast right now with this COVID, this whatever you want to call it, SARS-2, 1947, coronavirus going around, disrupting all of us and so many people, hurting a lot. Uh, physically, financially, emotionally, psychically. And it makes everything else seem like just a questionable waste of time. Shouldn't I be doing something more constructive and proactive to deal with this right now? I think it really does help for us to focus on what we know when we're overwhelmed and bewildered. So I, I know I can do a podcast. So I'm going to focus on that. What do you know that you know how to do and do well? Today we're going to talk to Johnny Waite. He is a, he's, he's kind of a legendary guy. He's so interesting and smart. And I haven't met him yet in real life, but I really want to. He's the international race director for Spartan Race, which is an obstacle course race, an endurance race. You'll learn what that is in the podcast that you're going to listen to, right? You're going to stick around and listen to this. He's also a life adventure coach. Um, a wrestling coach. He, he's a windsurfer, windsurfer instructor. And he's also a certified hypnotherapist. What can I say? The dude has a lot of passions, which is so cool. It's just so much alignment. He has all these passions, so he does all these things, right? Jealous. So we talk about the madness that is that is Spartan racing, endurance racing, um, the other big race. There's Spartan. There's, um, what was the other big one? Uh, Atlas. Atlas was the other big one. Um, imposter syndrome. Do you know what that is? Well, uh, I certainly do. Grinding through the, the shit show that is our lives, especially now. And a lot more. So I hope you're ready for this. Um, all right. I'm going to get some room, room tone ready. You got it. All right. Johnny, hey. Hey, How are you? hey it's really neat hey. to have you on. <laughs> It's good to be on, my man. I, I'm really, ever since you first mentioned this, I've been pretty stoked about it. Yeah, so how's your day? What's going on up there in Canada? You know what? It's exceptionally great. Uh, I'm, I'm lucky that I generally wake up pretty happy, and sometimes I'm very intentional about it, and today I was quite intentional about it. I decided when I got up that I was going to make a great day, and so far it's, it's on point. I love the idea of waking up in the morning and actively stating and choosing that you're going to have a great day. It seems really simple, but it's a, a tiny habit, as preached by... Um, B.J. Fogg, who wrote a book called Tiny Habits. Um, one of them is the, I believe it's called the Maui habit. It's what he calls it. You wake up, you put your feet on the ground, and you say, yeah. today's going to be a great day. You just own it. And you make that a habit. The first thing you do. Sounds like that's what you did today. Well, yeah, and here's how I look at that is some people think it's phony, right? The whole fake it till you make it thing. And I agree that just putting a happy face on when you're not happy isn't necessarily always um, authentic. But my thinking is that when you first wake up in the morning, nothing's really happened yet. Nothing good, nothing bad. So it's not mm. phony to say, I'm going to decide that from this state of neutrality, I'm going to generate the best baseline that I can. So, you know, if you wake up and just check in and go on a scale of one to 10, how do I feel? I don't know. Do I feel two? Do I feel three? Do I feel six? I don't know. How do I feel? I'm guessing most people when they first wake up in the morning are going to be somewhere hovering five, four ish on the scale of one to 10. But when there's nothing holding you down, why not at that point, just try and get yourself up to as good a feeling as you can before your feet hit the ground. Um, so that's your baseline for the day. Amen to that. I think that if I had a one to 10 that, I'd say 
two. Sure. <laughs> two, I, two to three. It's really hard. I am so not yeah, a morning yeah. person. It's. Oh, we've all we've all bought into that idea, right? I'm so not a morning person. I so need my coffee. I blah blah blah. I don't do coffee, very, man. I don't do but, coffee. But what, what, whatever it is, but we we bought into this idea that it's that you know that we need something. You know, we got to get up and get something to get from that two to a five or a six, right? We have to consume something. We have Whether to get um, into something, right? I'm yeah. for me now. It's tea. And then doing some sun salutations, um, yep. reading little fifteen minutes of reading, and then my days there. I just even as a kid though, I fell asleep in first period through all of my scholastic career. All sure. of it. I, I, even in college, I wouldn't start a class before ten a.m. So it took me longer to graduate from college because I just couldn't pull it together in the morning. It's, it's been a disaster. <laughs> so the fact that I got up at six thirty this morning so that I could get on yes. a phone call with you. Yeah, podcast. That's dedication, man. Um, Absolutely. I want to jump into this really, you do so many things, right? But certified hypnotherapist. That's really cool. Uh, when did when did you decide I want to do that? Was it so what leads so yeah, that, to these hypnotherapists? I'll, I'll tell you, it's funny. It was 2009. Um, I uh, had been, um, I'd studied psychology university, but hadn't done anything with it other than sales training and how to manipulate people into doing what I wanted them to do. And was good enough at that that I ended up coaching people on how to manipulate other people into doing what they want them to do. And uh, so I had some some training around persuasion, um, but I was uh, doing a big life reset, and I was sitting in a lawyer's office waiting to go in, and just happened to pick up an article about um, a hypnotherapist named Paul McKenna. And um, just reading this, I thought that's really interesting stuff. That's pretty cool. So I looked into it and uh, read up some more about it, and then I went and took some courses. Yeah, and then I got certified as hypnotherapist, and um, and I I first opened a hypnotherapy practice late two thousand nine, I'd say, um, and eventually it morphed into a broader coaching practice that I carry on to this day with hypnosis as a, a tool in the toolbox. And the reason I got away from hypnotherapy on my shingle was it kind of invited laziness. Like you know, a very typical client would be somebody coming in and saying, "Hey, I want to lose sixty pounds, but I'm not going to give up sweets, and I do not exercise. Do your magic." Wow. And uh, yeah. And so, so now I realize that hypnosis is just a, you know, uh, a good tool in a, in a, in a broader, um, in a broader practice. So would you, would you ever call that out in people and say, Hey, you know what, mm, this isn't really going to work or would you just kind of. Sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, because all, all I can do is help use hypnosis to help you change your beliefs and your behaviors. But mm -hmm. if you don't want to change those beliefs and behaviors, what's the point, right? Yeah. And um, I, I'll share my, my funniest, strangest request in hypnosis was a guy came to see me and asked me to hypnotize his wife to not think he was cheating. And, oh. uh, and you know, and are, are, you, are you cheating? Let's just have her not believe that I am. And then I sat down wow. with her and said, and said what, what's really going on here? She said, oh, he cheats on me all the time. I said, okay, um, what do you want to do with this? She said, I just want to not care. And so it was kind of funny. I was actually oh, able to work bad. with her about, about not caring, but I wasn't able to work with her about not believing, right? So, right. Um, you, you, but you want to find out what's, what's really behind things and why, what somebody really is trying to get to. Are they, are they still together? I don't know. That, that was an <laughs> arm's length. And uh, I, I'm assuming not. I, I think that was a, a Band-Aid fix for her. I don't want to care until I have my shit together. Again, uh, there's there's a reality can... show in there for couples that are cheating. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they, they go to a, a famous <laughs> hypnotherapist, right? <laughs> Yeah. So, but, but you know what? I've, I've actually had great success in helping people with a million things. Um, uh, lots of people sort of from depression, anxiety, where they've said, you know, man, you really helped me turn that around. Um, I had an amazing um, uh, 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 series of sessions with um, a person who had uh, given hospice care to, um, to, to dying children and, um, and had compartmentalized and, and never processed any of that grief. And that was a really cool thing to be able to help somebody with. So, so there, there've been some really neat things along the way. Um, you know, behavior change, smoking, exercise, things like that. Um, but that's where I say that I started to realize that it was a great part of being able to help people make significant changes um, using, using other modalities too. Mm -hmm. That's, I did it once. I went to a hypnotherapist once, a family friend, when I was mm -hmm. in my early 20s. I don't I either he wasn't very good at it or I wasn't very open. I thought it was, I'm like, yeah, that sounds really cool. But it just, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't use the, he didn't use the spinning, the spiral thing. So I don't think he was real. 
And he didn't pull a watch out, out and swing it yeah, back exactly. and forth. Yeah, I'm like, where's your pocket watch? Where's your spiral? This is bullshit. It's funny. I actually do. I do have a little um, uh, sort of globe ball kind mm -hmm. of thing that goes back and forth that has no more power than any other method, except that it looks like what you expect a hypnotherapist yeah, to use. I need and there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for sort of those totemistic, the, totemistic things. Yeah, yeah. The, I needed the totem. It's true. So I know there's a connection. Were I a brighter man that I could make between your interest in hypnotherapy and your career uh, as a race director for endurance races, sure. there's something yeah, yeah, yeah. there where it comes to um, helping people with growth, right? Sure. With personal yep. growth, um, not just uh, the type of growth that you do when you get in good shape, but to do an endurance race, you have to have a mental fortitude. But before I get into that, um, sure. There are people listening to this that have no idea what an endurance race is. Can you kind of yeah. talk about what you do for and what Spartan is and, and, and death race and these different things? For sure, yeah. So 2009, right around that same time, I ran my first ever uh, marathon. And I went from, you know, really no running since high school cross country to um, a little bit of jogging to straight into a marathon. And I wanted to just see what it was like, what would happen. And I found that uh, that level of, pain, that level of solitude, that level of uh, lack of distractions for an extended period of time uh, was a really powerful way to tap into parts of myself that I didn't know existed and, and, um, and dig deeper into thoughts that I would normally just try and push away. Okay. So that was the real appeal to me about endurance is, you know, when you have to dig in and go further than you thought you could, um, and really have to tap into that mental side. You know, anyone can go and run 100 meters, and it, you know, you might run it faster or slower, but not everyone can go run 100 miles. Well, they can, but not everyone will. And I would say that the reason they don't has much less to do with physical than the fact that halfway through, you've convinced yourself this is a really bad idea, and <laughs> and, and and you stop. And so, um, you know, my my brother, um, who's quite a bright guy, we we're talking about um the best way to train for um a 50-hour race would be to sit in a chair with um, a cup of water and you just move it from the left arm to the right arm of the chair for 50 hours. And I, and I said, well, that's a really stupid idea. He said, yes, yeah. so I was running a hundred miles, but somewhere along the way, you're going to have to convince yourself that you can keep doing it anyway. And, uh, and battling that, that boredom and that, um, and that, uh, that monkey brain is really big. Mm -hmm. So, but in answer to your original question, so, so endurance, back to your question. So a couple of layers, endurance racing is, um, any kind of distance that uh, causes you to really use the mental to, uh, to keep the physical going. Spartan Race um, is uh, an obstacle racing company that some of the longer ones certainly do get into endurance, you know, like the Ultra and, and um, we can talk about the Death Race in a minute. But, um, right. but uh, the, the, the great thing about it, I, I always joke that um, Spartan Race's um, biggest product is Facebook profile pictures. And the reason being that we all go back to our cubicle on Monday, most of us, and, um, and just really want to be able to show that we're not like all the other people in there who aren't doing interesting things. And so the fact you're jumping over a fire, you're crawling in a barbed wire, you're covered with mud, it lets you tap back into a feeling that you're doing something really unique and really interesting and really cool, which you are. Um, so, so I first did a, um, a Spartan race in 2010, the first one in Canada over in Mont Tremblant got onto a mailing list for um, the death race, which was the precursor to Spartan race. Um, a couple of guys down in Vermont had come up with this uh, insane, truly endurance event. And um, I ended up going down and doing it the next year. And it was, um, it was uh, unbelievable. It was that, that race that year was 45 hours, no sleep, um, doing crazy difficult things that every one of which at the start, you think I probably can't do this. And then somehow you find a way to do it. And that really uh, attracted me to this whole idea of how can you help people tap into doing more than they ever thought was possible. And I came up with this idea that we all have an alter ego. You know, it's the whole superhero, super myth kind of idea that mm -hmm. um, we all have that hero inside us. And, um, but most of us don't ever find a way to tap into it. And so my, my coaching company, which is called Alter Ego Life Adventure Company, my whole premise is that you have somebody that you wished you'd been. And somewhere along the way, you took a turn that made you uh, do other things. And I, I joke that my average coaching client is a 40-year-old accountant in Ohio who really wanted to be a pro surfer and really wants to do something about that now. Oh, age. Um, <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. So, so, so my thinking is, um, is that, uh, that 
how can I help people be more of that person they wish they were? It's very much what you're doing with the, with the Super Nice Club. We all wish we were a little bit nice. We all wish we were a little bit less of an asshole. And you're saying, hey, I can help you do that. You know, like I can help you do that by creating a community of people that'll help you do that. We'll support you in that. And so, so we're on a parallel path, which is helping people to develop that side of themselves that, they, that they've always wished they could. Yeah, it's interesting, that parallel path in that a lot of the early members in the Super Nice Club were, are, Spartan racers and Tough Mudders. Uh, yeah. You know, that's because at the time when Super Nice Club started, I was running some of these races. You know, I've done a couple of, of um, World Toughest Mudders, which is a 24-hour endurance race, as yep. you know. I, I don't think it compares to a death race, but man, those were grueling. I had no business oh, doing that. I, I barely trained for my first WTM. Um, still, you know, over 24 hours, you do 50 miles of this grueling yeah. thing. And it is, it's a really amazing thing. You're like, wow, I'm just like an average dude in average shape that doesn't, you know, I don't do CrossFit. I don't run. Um, well, we tend to think that we tend to think that it's only, sorry, keep going. Yeah. No, no, no. I was just saying the mental fortitude of it. You learn a lot about yourself. The, the very, it was the first Spartan race that I did. Um, you know, Scott Keneally, right? Real well, super yeah. good guy. So Scott, Scott Keneally is a guy, uh, a good friend of mine who did a documentary called Rise of the Suffer Fest. Um, yep. Scott, Keith Lancaster, others put together this great documentary. You guys should check it out. If you're listening to this, Rise of the Suffer Fest, um, there's a wonderful photo of me in it called The Three Stages of Failure or The Three Stages of Spear <laughs> Throw or something. I'm like the poster boy yeah. for the missed spear throw. Yes, you throw spears sure. in Spartan races. It's silly. It's awesome. Um, I ran a Spartan race. The first one I ran, I'm like, oh, I'll try a, a beast. It was in Sacramento. I think it was 11 miles or 13. I don't know. I'd never run more than three or four miles at that time. Uh, I had never had a muscle cramp other than as a kid, right? Sure. So I'm cruising along out there in this cracked, parched dirt in the cow fields outside of Sacramento, and every muscle in my leg cramps up. They all lock up. Mm -hmm. My calves, my, I mean, you know, you're already hurting, and then they put rubber bands around your calves and have you hop along, and that was it. I was done. Like everything seized, right? So now, yeah, you face this moment where, okay, I'm halfway through. I can quit. You know, yep. I, I've never had my body feel like this before. This is a new experience to me. It isn't working. Just my body's not working. I cannot run. Um, yep. Or I can get up and hobble along the rest of the way. In the meantime, you're doing these obstacles and things like that, you know. But, um, and you face, a, you, you, there's a moment where you make a choice, right? Yep. And I distinctively remember that moment. I distinctively, I was stretching, trying to get my legs to work again. I remember where I was. I remember what it smelled like. I remember just all of a sudden laughing, going, oh my God, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. But now I know that I can do this, that it really is mind over body. I'm not really hurting my body. These are just muscle cramps. Yep. I'm not doing permanent damage. You know? I'm trying to remember who, who it was that wrote, um, uh, it might have been Dean Trenazis who said, on the other side of that, you know, mm -hmm. when you, when you, when, when you get to a point in something where you feel like you've gone as far as you can mm -hmm. and you push on to get to the other side of that, there's so much to be learned and so much value and such a satire moment of, wow. It is. It the is first, that moment. to get through that. And even though I had a bigger push at the 24 hour race, right. Um, it was more grueling because you've got, you're fighting hypothermia, you're fighting all kinds of other cramps and pains. It was that first Spartan race where I realized as someone who hasn't really been in touch with my body more than the average person, right? I realized, wow, you know, I can push yep. through this. I can do this. And it has since then, um, applied to a lot of what I do professionally when I'm grinding, even as a parent, you know, these challenges it's, it, it yep. has, it was, it was a transformative moment. And I really appreciate that about the race. And it is not, unrelated to my future pursuits with the super nice club so, am i correct that you're also friends with scott carney i know scott carney um yeah, I, he, he wrote a great friend he wrote a with great scott carney i would like scott carney if you ever listen to this i would like to be closer friends with you and i would like cool. to learn how to <laughs> be an ice man okay yeah um because so, I, yeah, he wrote a he wrote a book called what doesn't kill us makes you know what doesn't I've kill us it. obviously yeah and um and then the other one along a similar vein that really ties into all this have you read stealing fire by Stephen Kotler and Jamie Wheel? I have not. 
So stealing fire is about how we tap into altered states of consciousness. And it basically says, you know, whether it's a uh, SEAL Team 6 or Silicon Valley, people are doing it all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether it's Wim Hof breathing and, uh, and uh, cold uh, immersion therapy, or whether it's magic mushrooms, or whether it's um, sleep deprivation, or whatever it is, um, people are doing things to cause themselves to see things differently and experience things differently. And I really feel that endurance um, is a huge part of that. When you can go through, you know, two, three straight nights of extreme physical exertion, you're going to see things a lot differently than you do sitting on the couch, uh, you know, watching um, a TED talk. Yeah, absolutely. So you are, is, is this correct that you're the international race director for Spartan? Not the, but ah, certainly um, uh, what I do. So I used to be uh, the Canadian race director for Spartan. I used to be the quality manager internationally for Spartan. So I've done a lot of roles with them. And what I do now, I stepped away from full-time work because I really wanted to be able to pursue uh, my coaching business, um, some adventure uh, travel planning business that I'm doing. Um, but the, um, but I didn't want to leave completely because I love that world and I love those people. So I do mercenary work where I get dropped in mm-hmm. kind of anywhere in the world. I've probably worked in 25 countries now where they're either between race directors or there's a new race director who needs some training or they've um, struggled in recent races and just want to reset. Um, we're all plunk in and, um, and do a race or two in that country just to help them sort of um, get it in line with, with the core product. And so um, I was lucky to spend a bunch of last winter in Asia. I did a race in Malaysia. I'm going back to Australia in a couple of weeks to help them out um, as they transition to a new race director. Um, spent a lot of time in Mexico um, and, and really quite literally all over the world. I think I've been on every continent except Africa and Antarctica so far. Yeah, you're all over the place, which makes me wonder, you know, a lot of people struggle really hard to blend one career with, with one or two overriding passions. You know, we, we all want to do that. We all want to align our work with our passion. You know, I mean, yeah. a lot of us do, but you have, you have multiple careers. It seems like you have dozens of passions, you know, um, you just have a real passion for living and you seem to be doing a great job blending all of this, but is that just your sort of curated online persona or do you struggle with this stuff? That's a great question. The whole idea of a curated online persona too. I get asked that all the time, you know, Hey, nobody's really this happy. Nobody's really this, whatever. And, and I try to actually jealous, Johnny, we're jealous. (laughs) But I actually try, I try to make an effort to share the ups and the downs too. Like I'll quite often post about, um, uh, shit show days where I've had to really lean into stuff and, 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 you know, um, grind through it. But, uh, no, I, I am, I am fortunate that along the way I've learned some lessons. I'm also 51 years old, right? It's, um, uh, you, you get kicked in the nuts a few times over the years and, and you learn some things. But um, I, I am a person who's committed to being happy. I'm a person who's committed to making a difference. And I am a person who's committed to adventure and growth. And so that's what I'm constantly out there pursuing and trying to find ways to generate it for other people as well. And so um, so in terms of having been able to align my passions with my with my work, absolutely yes. Um, but the other side of it too, is the whole idea of, um, of, you know, are, is somebody as happy as they put themselves out there to be, you know, this whole thing about the, the Instagram life versus the real life. I don't think that that's, um, as absolute as people make it sound like, you know, that everybody's doing that. Like, I really do feel that, yes, I share the good stuff because I have lots of good stuff and I love to share it. And it's not in a, in a boasting way. It's in a, Hey, um, these are the fun things you're doing, come and do them sort of a way. But, um, but, but we all, like we all, all, all struggle with, um, you know, an imposter syndrome that we all have, you know, I'm quite certain that Todd Bryant some days wonders if, if this gig's going to be really up someday, some people are going to really find out what you're really like, you know, I certainly do. Um, you know, what are the real race directors going to think of me? What are the real hypnotherapists going to think of me? What are the real motivational speakers going to think of me when they find out that I've been getting away with pretending to be one of these things? Absolutely. And, um, yeah. And, um, you know, there's a really, really, really good podcast I listened to recently. Um, uh, called Armchair Expert by Dak Shepard. Um, he's a, a, a semi-famous actor who has all these amazing people on his on his uh, podcast. And he had Will Arnett recently, Job from Arrested Development. And most of it was talking about their shared insecurities and this incredible imposter syndrome that they have um, and, and how they managed to get that under control. And it was really, really powerful and... Um, I don't want to say what's the word I'm looking for. It was 
they were they were just very real, and it, and it it really made me feel better about all my uh, insecurities. Well, imposter syndrome is such a, a rich subject, and that's a podcast of its own. It's certainly something that, I mean, if you have a club called the Super Nice Club, yeah, you're an imposter all the time. I'm not the nicest guy, and sure. uh, there are daily examples of my not being nice. My last name is brilliant. I'm cursed with that because I'm often not, <laughs> right? I'm often not yeah, brilliant. Sure. I'm often not nice. Um, the idea is to, to try harder, right? The idea is yep. 10% nicer. The idea is to keep climbing up that ladder, you know? Yep. Um, and yeah, I feel like an imposter all the time, but that doesn't stop me, right? Yep. But it does give me some pause quite a bit and it does pressure me to curate my social media presence here's the here's the tricky thing about the about the temptation to curate though the temptation to curate is this if i can just conform to what i think people think i should be or even more dangerously if i can get recognized as being what people think i should be then it will be better. And it's actually mm-hmm. the opposite. I, um, I always refer back to Heath Ledger, and I think he is the ultimate example. I remember reading after his death, someone saying that he never felt that he deserved all of the accolades he got. And the problem with that is if you have this story inside that says, I'm not worthy, every time you get world, named World Sexiest Man, problem I haven't had yet, but it's coming, it's coming, um, or an Academy Award, um, it's one more time, it's just one more layer of, fuck, when they find out that I'm not, now they think I'm even better. And so, you know, curating or seeking any kind of external validation will ultimately make the imposter syndrome even worse. The only thing we can do is actually work on that core self-belief. And, and also, I would argue, and, and you're pretty good at doing this, um, also poking holes in that, um, in, in that perceived persona. You know, I've heard you many, many times say, I'm not the nicest guy in the world. And your manifesto, or the manifesto for the Super Nice Club, we're miscreants, we're assholes, we're all kinds of things. We're just trying to be nicer. Um, and that's, you know, that's like with me, for example, I, um, I'm really fortunate to have been able to experience a lot of cool things and have a lot more on the radar that I'm planning to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but, you know, I think, it, I think it's important to share some of the, the ups and the downs and the, and the foibles too, because the more we try and make people love us and make people think we're perfect, the more we're setting ourselves up to, to go through life really worried that they're going to find out that we're not. Um, yeah. It's funny, actually. Um, I just finished a great workshop on the weekend. Um, it was actually a, a couple's uh, communication workshop. Um, but there was a lot of psychoanalysis and a lot of um, sort of Freudian looking back at your past and things like that. And we've all got lots of bags. Like, it's so funny. I, I'm this person who believes that I had a perfect childhood, and I, and I did in many, many ways. But I think back, and I was weird as fuck, like as a kid. <laughs> like, like, and and so, so I was this pr- perfect kid in this perfect childhood with all these fucking bizarre ideas in my head. Um, and you think that, oh my God, nobody better ever find out about these things. Um, have you, have you seen the show Big Mouth, the, the television show? I know what it is. It, I it, haven't it's seen on, it. It's spectacular. So it's on Netflix. It's a cartoon about kids at that age or that grade mm-hmm. seven, eight stage and the fucking weird stuff that goes through your head. And, and they've, they've got this hormone monster. They each have a personal hormone monster who, who just is the most deviant thing that's sitting on their shoulder. And it's wow. funny because. I think that some of these things that we're now willing to actually put out there mm-hmm. are so important because now you've got a whole bunch of 13 year olds going, Oh, so everyone else is screwed up too. This is great. And sitting as a couple in this workshop on the weekend, there were five other couples, you know, in the same workshop and you're hearing them going, Oh my God. So you guys do that too. Oh, Jesus. We're not, we're not nearly as awful as we thought we were because other people have the same challenges. And so, um, yeah, so, so I, th- I think that owning your, owning your shit and owning your baggage and, um, and being um, a little bit more forthcoming with it is, is pretty important and it helps other people too. Yeah, the authenticity is, is an important thing. It's when you're building a brand and I, I've taken a long time. We talked about this uh, earlier before we started recording that uh, I've struggled with Super Nice Club as a brand, right? Um, and that's what it is though. It's a lifestyle brand. I have to own that. I own it now. It's a lifestyle brand. It has to sell merchandise um, in order yep. to exist, in order to do nice things, you know, in order to fund nice efforts. Um, but when you get a brand going now, you feel like, oh, you know, I'm the face of the brand, which I don't want to be, you know, but for now, 
you know, I'm one, I'm the, I'm employee one, you know, that, that, um, and yeah. so, well, what if people go and look at my social media, they look at my Instagram and they see that there's, you know, weird shit on there or that, you know, I'm, I'm being judgmental. I, there is a lot of pressure to have a sculpted persona that seems like yep. it would be somebody that would be super nice, you know, yep. some sort of, um, I don't know, like I should be a yoga instructor that's coming back from a Bali workshop uh, every few months. And but you, you, you know, lots of them, some of them are super man. nice and some of them are right? There's, there's a disconnect sure. for a lot of people. And if you're out there and you see that disconnect, I'm sorry. Um, but I'm not sorry because, well, it's, it is, you know, it's, it's who I am. But you understand what I'm saying, though. The conflict of that is the pressure sure. that's relentless, especially as it grows. You know, the Super Nice Club is growing, and the more it grows, you get investors, and you get um, bigger, bigger, quote-unquote, bigger people paying attention to you. You know, the pressure to yep. tell the line is crazy. Well, so on, on the one hand, absolutely, of course, like we can't all just be out there letting our free flag fly all the time, right? When I was a realtor trying to sell houses, you know, you didn't show up with your um, you were a realtor shirt on. Oh yeah, way back in the day. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> but um, but but the but the flip side of that too is that um, you also are creating something that isn't just about apple pie, gee golly, niceness, right? It's it's about authenticity. It's about and and it's funny when I was doing a lot of speaking years ago, mm -hmm. and um. And uh, I remember my dad wanted to come down to this uh, speech with me, which was great. I was speaking to a university uh, business program. And it was the first time he'd seen that I'd gotten some tattoos on my arms. And I was wearing a short sleeve shirt. And he was mortified, mortified. You know, you're really, you're really limiting yourself now. There are going to be a lot of people who will not hire you to speak if you've got visible tattoos. And I said, oh, fuck, good. I don't need to speak to everyone. You know, the people who, do, who aren't going to listen to me because I've got tattoos on my arm aren't going to like my message anyway. So in my mind, being real and being you, you... I, you know, you have this great line. We say there are already eight billion members in the uh, in the Super Nice Club, which yeah. um, which is true, which is true. You're Almost trying to seven impact eight billion people out there. <laughs> we just need to remind but, them. That's it. But but what what I maintain is that you know, in in actual engaged people in any business, um, you know, you don't need every single person in the world to agree with you. And so if I'm going to be out there and um and putting myself out as a speaker or a coach, there are lots of people I don't want to coach or I don't want to speak to. Mm -hmm. You know, like if I was being called in to speak to a certain business segment, you know, it, it's my message isn't going to resonate with them anyway. So, right. you know, you're, you're, you're not trying to get every single person in the world to love you and to think that you're wonderful. And, 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 and every person, <laughs> you, you, you may be, but every person in the world has their own okay. um, shit too. So I think the more shit that you own and don't worry too much about, you know, obviously, of course, you, you know, we still wear a suit when we go to church because that's what we do. Mm -hmm. I don't go to church, yeah. but you know, you know what I mean? I so, yeah. Anyway, so, so I, I'm hearing you, but I'm also challenging you a little bit on, on this perceived need to curate that online persona. Um, it is a perceived need because I oh, think that, I a, that. A, a, you know, a, a, a broader need is to actually be authentic. Yeah. Um, I want to, I'm going to, I want to read a quote that, that you sent me and then I have a question about it. You ready for this? Sure. Ready to hear your own? Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to try to do a, an impersonation, you know, um, um, <laughs> just be fast and mumble a lot fast. And with that Canadian accent. Um, <laughs> okay. So you said in 2009, I decided my core values are adventure, growth, and contribution. And my guiding yep. principle is loving, joyful adventure. Everything I do is guided by these. Yep. That's an amazing quote. And I want to, I, I want you to dive into that, but I also want to, sure. because we've been talking and twice you've mentioned 2009, you said you got into hypnotherapy in 2009 and something else, maybe it was racing. What happened in 2009? Did something happen in 2009 that had you do sort of a life reanalysis and reset? Big time, yeah. And it's funny. I feel because I've talked about it in different, um, uh, different um, opportunities to talk about that before. I kind of don't talk about it a lot now because it feels like I'm beating that story to death. You mean so bigger podcast, super short, more popular podcast? Super short, I get it. I hear you. <laughs> super short version. Uh, 2006, uh, crushing the world. Um, you know, super successful realtor, beautiful family, all this stuff. Got recruited to get into politics. Um, was running for federal office in Canada, sort of the equivalent of, um, I guess, Congress down there, maybe. Um, but it was, you know, at, at a federal level, and it was um, for, I guess, the equivalent of Democrats, because in Canada we just call it conservative and liberal. So I was running for the Liberal Party. Um, uh, had a a very failed 
um, political campaign that didn't go anywhere. And um, it kind of shut down my real estate business right before the, uh, the big tank of 2008 when nothing was selling anyway. And so I went from being on top of the world to being kind of under the bus um, very quickly, you know, due to my own decisions and actions and, um, and had to start again. So 2008, I uh, was starting really with, with no money, with no momentum um, and had to reevaluate everything. And uh, I was married at the time and we had a big conversation about what we want to do next. And in that conversation, we realized that we just had very different needs and desires in terms of where we're trying to go in life. Um, and therefore, we were able to separate quite amicably. And, um, and I had to decide, what's my life going to be about? And that's what I came up with. I was doing a lot of work, a lot of, a lot of courses, a lot of you know, self-analysis and stuff. And I decided adventure, growth, and contribution were what were important to me. Adventure, I'm stimulated to, or sorry, addicted to stimulation. I need stimulation. I need to constantly be outside my own comfort zone. The growth was make a point of this, actually do something with this, like actually grow in the process. And contribution was that it couldn't just all be about me. You know, if it's all just about me, what's the point? And so it was, you know, anything I'm doing, it really has to be something that ultimately I can make a contribution to others based on, which is why I got into directing versus just racing, why I got into coaching versus just going to seminars. Um, you know, I really want to be a producer, not just a consumer in life. And so, um, so the big reset in 2008, 2009, um, you know, it involved going from having everything to really having nothing for a while, like actually having nothing, nothing. Mm-hmm. And um, ultimately a great, great opportunity to start again, to, to, to build a new version of myself, um, you know, building on some of the strengths from before and some of the opportunities I'd had, but, you know, having lost a lot of the advantage that came with that, I, you know, I, I really had to claw it out, which, which ultimately made me stronger and better. Um, it's funny, the death race came along in 2010. And I've always said that in 2006, there's no way that John David Waite finishes the death race. I mean, that guy was pretty spoiled and pampered and life had been pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, sleeping rough and getting kicked in the teeth a few times goes a long, long way to <laughs> making yourself a lot better to a uh, lot better equipped to deal with hardship. Yeah. yeah. So, so that, that's, mean, that, that's, that's the, that's the of the big life reset. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Had I done better research for this call, um, I would have known, but you know, was, well, no, but, but had you done better research, I wouldn't have been able to talk about it. And they, they wouldn't have known all those awesome people. It's true. I got to discover it by listening to you. I see I'm learning. Sure. I'm a 10% better listener. I, what I really like <laughs> that you said that everything you do is guided by this guiding principle of hundred percent loving, joyful adventure. And that helps me understand better now how you can effectively weave together these disparate career choices. You know, obviously they're not that disparate, but I see the connective tissue. I think you've explained that quite well, but having a guiding principle, you know, I I need a guiding principle. So, so I'm going to share, I'm going to share with you that this past fall, um, uh, my work in racing had sort of wound its way to a spot where I was sitting in front of my computer a lot, doing a lot of very um, administrative type work that was very Sisyphean. It was not going to end. It was only going to keep going and going and going. And I thought, this is not where I want to be. And, you know, there's, there's the whole buckle down, get it done, see this through. And I woke up several days in a row, just not happy, not kind to my wife, not, not a good, happy person at all. Mm -hmm. And I thought, are you living a joyful, loving adventure right now? Fuck, you're doing the opposite of that. There's no adventure in this. You're not joyful. You're sure not being loving. And I quit. Um, now when I quit, I didn't, you know, this, I was doing some Spartan work. I didn't leave the company, but I got in touch with those who mattered and said, um, yeah, this is not the contribution I can make. I need to make a different contribution. And, you know, a week later I was back to being so happy and so me. So, so, but I really did put it through the filter of, is this a loving, joyful adventure? No, then don't do it. I like that. I like that a lot. I, um, a few years ago may have been, I don't remember, but it's possible that I was on some sort of hallucinogenic at Burning Man watching a giant structure <laughs> burn. It's possible. Yeah. That might have been a dream. But I was struck with this. It's, it's something of a guiding principle, yeah, because it's been with me ever since, which is really simple, which is if it does not promote love or learning, leave it be. Yeah, absolutely. That, that has been a, um, a tree for me, a fork, you know, when it comes yeah. to do I do this or do I do this or should I, you know, um, it's not perfect in that it's almost a negative, you know, 
uh, instead of a positive, which would be, if you rephrase that, I guess it would be uh, embrace that which promotes love and learning. Right. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and from an affirmation, yeah, standpoint, of course, Boom, you always want to say things in the positive, yeah. but, yeah. but, but the flip that the flip side is um, sometimes, you know, the way that you worded it is better. If it doesn't promote love and learning, let it be. And the actual, you, that actually does um, embrace a positive step and the positive step is letting it be, mm-hmm. you know, it's the, it's the, um, it'd be hard. It can be so hard. It can be so hard to leave things be because they mm-hmm. have different attractants. You talked about, um, in the, the run up to this call, you talk about empathy. And I, I wanted to come back to this. I wanted to dig on this a little bit. You said that sure. uh, you had a late arrival at empathy. Yep. Um, I don't even know what that really means for you, but just that phrase, my late arrival at empathy, yeah, is really compelling. So yeah, I'll share a couple thoughts around that. So um, I have had a lot of opportunities and a lot of advantages and a lot of things in my life that, um, have made it easier for me, I think, than, than some. And a few times along the way, there have been key moments where, where I've had to, to look at that. Um, remember one time when I was maybe 20 years old and I was back in my hometown and looking at some, uh, you, know, you know, when you're 20, you know so much more than a 16-year-old does. Mm-hmm. I saw these 16-year-old, uh, Kids. whatever, Kids. Mis- miscreants, miscreants out in front of them. The, the Tim Hortons, because it was in Canada. And I remember saying to my dad, some people need to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. And he said, you look at your bootstraps before you ever say that about someone else again. And I, I never realized that. Um, and my, my wife, Andrea, and I, who, who you uh, know, but haven't met, but, but know well, um, mm-hmm. who's absolutely magnificent. We just came back from um, yes. a workshop on the weekend all about couples communication. And it was all about empathy. It was all about why are you trying so hard to have her see it the way you see it? Why are you trying so hard to have her live in a way that you would live um, as opposed to honoring her experiences and honoring, you know, her conditioning. And, um, and, and it's funny. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll share my, my non burning man moment in Thailand a while ago and, um, and had this flood of, um, of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Em- empathy, the, the word we're talking about. And I, I actually got to experience and it came out of nowhere, but I thought, I wonder what my kids are doing right now. But I didn't just think, what are they doing? I thought, what are they feeling? How are they experiencing it? Wonder, wonder, wonder what it's like to be my dad. I wonder what it's like to be my dad, like day in and day out. What's it like to be Andrea? Mm. What would it be like to be Todd's horn brilliant? Like, what would it be like to be Todd? And not, not just like see Todd's life through my eyes, but what would it be like to experience? And I started doing that further and further for myself to where I was kind of collectively doing it with 8 billion people and thinking mm. every single one of those per- people their experience is as real and valid to them as that mine is to me, and mine is no more valid and real. And I got really, really freed up from this idea that that I need everyone to be like me, mm-hmm. or I need everyone to see things like I do. And um, but when I say came, came to it late in life, it's from the standpoint that I mean, for the longest time, I thought the solution was if everyone could just do things the way that I do it or see things the way that I see it, everything would be so much better. Mm-hmm. You know, despite knowing that I was also a a person with all my own baggage and shit, mm-hmm. but, but my baggage and shit was okay. There's, there's a problem. Mine is okay. If they could just see it the way I see it. And now I realize it is so much more valuable and valid for me to try and see it the way they see it and to actually understand where they're coming from. So, um, but, um, but like I say, like I got clear that I was not in the least bit empathetic, like where yeah, at best it was sympathetic to people. I felt sorry for them as opposed to really trying to get that, that they were just as valid as I was. Wow, that's that's a, a beautiful realization. I think a lot of folks, you know, we drift in and out of the ability to empathize, right? Depending on what's going on in our lives, the pressures and things like that. And I think, like like you did, we wake up sometimes going, "Wow, I've yeah. been I've been a selfish I've been a selfish asshole. I have not yeah. been looking at things through their eyes because you know we are our own universe, right? And it's hard to remember that this person right next to you is also this vibrant, magnificent, spinning, crazy, chaotic universe contained yeah. within that you know that that body, right? Um, and we can't get in there. We really, you know, we can get in there a little bit, maybe energetically, but we we can't get in there, right? We are all alone. Well, and and until until. Right? And, and until you really embrace take, taking responsibility and doing something about it, 
-hmm. you can actually skirt around the edges of it pretty creatively. Like for example, you know, at some point along the way, I realized that being empathetic was important, but I wasn't empathetic. I just realized that being empathetic was important. So I got really good at, you know, seeming empathetic, mm -hmm. right? I'm, I, I, and I'm very manipulative with language sometimes. I, I'm, I'm good at speaking and I would, I would, I like to say I'm a cunning linguist because I'm, I'm creative with my language sneaky. But, um, but the idea was I could seem so nice and so caring and so whatever while trying to manipulate people into being the way they wanted them to be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and Andrea said that before she said, you know, you know, it, it's, it sucks because we'll have these conversations and all of a sudden you start speaking very persuasively, but I know you're not listening to me and I know you're just trying to make me agree with you. And sometimes it's easier just to say, I agree with you. So, so in my mind, I was being great and powerful and helping and I was being an asshole. In her mind, you were just being a sociopath and she was calling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I get 100%, it. hundred percent. Yeah. Did you just, you just came out a little bit on that, didn't you? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that that's uh, it is a big part of being nicer. And obviously how whoa, there's, there's, Nice, kind, however you want to call it, but ha having sympathy, empathy. I mean, empathy is everything, right? Um, mm -hmm. yeah. When it comes to, it is, it's some of the hardest work that we can do, being, being empathetic, because we have to set ourselves aside a lot for that. Yep, for yeah. sure. So great. Well, hey, welcome to the Empathy Club. You know, I don't know if I'm <laughs> there or if I'm faking it, but I, I, uh, I do love the idea, um, and I do absolutely endorse empathy wherever you yep, can. Good. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I'm with you. So let me ask you this. You're a member of the super nice club. Yep. And what can we, what can the members of the super nice club do for you? For me, for you, what can we do for you? Johnny, you're giving us this great, you're sharing with us. What can we do for you? What can the members do? Well, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that I know a lot of the members and I don't I mean, I, I know there are tens of thousands of, of, of subscribed members in addition to the almost 8 million, 8 billion that are really out there. Um, but, you know, fortunately, you know, knowing some of them through the racing community, knowing some of them through my own personal community that have joined along the way, um, I just really love watching people grow and, and be nice to each other and, and again, own their shit and mm -hmm. stop feeling that we need to pretend to be perfect all the time. Um, so, but, but I think, I think the biggest thing, like, you know, if I were to say, what I'm working on right now and what I think other people should work on right now is work on our listening skills. And by listening skills, like I, I first learned to listen from sales training, right? And it was, if you ask questions and you listen, you'll find out what you need to know. But what I always needed to know was what it would then take to get them to make a decision that was the decision I wanted them to make. And so that's where I learned to be manipulative with my listening skills as opposed to just simply listening. And, um, that's, that's, there's, there's huge, huge value in that, that I'm only now starting to learn. Listening for the sake of listening, listening for the sake of, of allowing that person to be heard. And we all have a, a fundamental need to be heard. There's a great book I read years ago called The Pursuit of Attention. And that what we're trained to do um, in our social settings, especially in a family setting, you know, where in my world, there were four kids, mom and dad sitting around the table, mm -hmm. and you would listen to what the other person said, waiting for the appropriate time to then be able to talk about you, right? And my, my mom used to joke about that my favorite thing was enough about me. What do you think of me? And, um, and when you know that all of our fundamental need is to be heard, maybe park your fundamental need to be heard and realize there's actually no value in that. There's way more value in listening and hearing and fulfilling other people's need to be heard. So, you know, whenever, what I'm going to try to do myself, and I was thinking about this last night, anytime that I'm speaking, I want to think, could I be listening right now? Like, is, is this more important speaking than listening? Or is this just me pursuing attention? And if I realize that there actually would be a better opportunity to listen right now than to speak, what's the question I could ask of this person that would allow them to share? So, so be a lot more interested in questions for other people rather than your answers for what you think is important. Yeah, that's it is a challenge. It's is, would you say that would be your super nice club challenge, by the way, that we have? We have these super nice club challenge to to our listeners, something simple that they can do that nudges the bar a little closer to 10% yeah. closer. Is that your super nice club challenge to to, to listen it, it more? Is. Or yeah, hundred percent it is. It, it's it's this. Ask yourself a couple of times a day, 
am I speaking more than I need to? And could I be listening more? And the answer is always yes. And if the answer is yes, which is always yes, what questions could I be asking that would empower the people around me um, rather than downloading information? So yeah, it's, it's my, my challenge, check in a few times a day to say, how can I be listening right now rather than speaking and then act on it? Okay, I will do that. I'm going to try to do that more and more as I learn the subtle art of podcasting. I mean, you really have to learn to listen if you're going to do a podcast, I, I don't, you know, um, sure. and then how to respond to, to keep the conversation going, right? Um, yeah. I hope you feel, I hope you feel listened to today, Johnny. <laughs> I do, brother. I do. Absolutely. Um, so we're going to flip this now because <laughs> I'm tired of listening to you. Do you, do you have a question for me? Um, let me think. Do I have a question for you? Um, well, here, here's, here's, here's a question. You seem to have a pretty neat, eclectic, artistic um, group of friends. And, and, you know, it's funny. Some people, they say friends, you say, well, I'd, I'd like to be closer friends. But certainly um, people that you know and the people that you surround yourself with, seem to be an eclectic, interesting, creative group of people. So it's funny. It's not as much a question for me as just I want to ask your thoughts on that as far as for, for your, your, our listeners. Um, and it's this. Quite often when we talk about growth and we talk about expanding ourselves, we talk about taking things on, people worry about, you know, what about the people around us? We hear, you know, you need new friends. And I think that's a real challenge for people because, you know, your social circles kind of define you. They're kind of your anchor. They're kind of your strength. So for people who want to create a more interesting, motivating, um, challenging social circle, we're going to cause them to grow. Mm -hmm. How would you say they should approach that? How would you say people should go out and, and meet more interesting, more um, engaged people? Oh boy. Um, you mean besides Facebook and Instagram? Wow. In, in the real world. Yeah, in the real world. Well, go to super nice club gatherings, which, and if you don't have one in your town, call me, message me. Let's put together a super nice club event in your town. That's, that's the um, lifestyle brand plug answer. Sure, the, good answer. Uh, it's a tricky one. I just moved. Hold on, I'm going to cough. It's a very quiet cough. Yeah, no, I muted it, man. All right, I muted it. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I muted the cough. <laughs> That's all. Um, I just moved. I just moved to Los Angeles from yep. California a month ago. And so it, it's very much on my mind. How do I meet the new people, right? I think I approach that in a little bit of a, I don't know, maybe it's normal. Maybe it's a little bit different. What I do is I just get a little weird. You know, when I moved to... I moved to a really small town back in the early 90s called, no, it wasn't, late 90s, God, um, called Healdsburg, Healdsburg, California. I've been there. I've, yeah, played um, I've played Patank there. You did what? Played Patank. P you played Patank? Oh, with, with Sebastian? Scott and Amber. No, oh, Scott, Scott and Amber. Amber. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so moved to Healdsburg um, to open up a winery um, and an art gallery in a whole different life, very different life. Um, and I was like, where am I, man? I'm 29 years old and I'm in this little retirement town. No offense, Healdsburg, you're not a retirement town. That's just what I was feeling at the time. And you kind of are. I mean, come on. Um, what am I going to do? How do I find my people? So what I did is I made a flyer, 11 by 17. And it said, uh, and it was really weird design. And it said, Howard Jones fan club meeting. Remember Howard Jones, British singer? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Things can only um, get better. That, that, things that's can only thing. get better. At that point, Boom. things can only get better. Yeah. So I said, <laughs> Howard Jones fan club meeting, uh, meet at the Safeway frozen food aisle, uh, Saturday, 8 PM. Yeah. And I posted that all over town. I'm like, if anybody's going to respond to this, this is my people. Cause this is weird. And, and yeah, that? for sure. Right. So then I'm at Safeway and kind of walking through the aisles i'm like howard jones to, to anybody that looks kind of under you know under <laughs> walking up and down i was like howard jones and then uh, uh, i found i found three people i found three people 
Um, we yeah, gathered yeah. in the frozen food and we went out and had some drinks. And uh, one of the guys, a guy from South Africa named uh, Jerome, I ended up becoming good friends with until he moved sure. away to, to do some sommelier thing up in Portland. Um, so, you know, putting my, the point is long-winded story, sorry. Just put yourself good, out sure. there in some way that is authentic to you and don't care if people think it's weird. I moved to LA, so now instead of flyers, because I'm in Brentwood, which is like, kind of like Healdsburg uh, all over again, yep. this removed community in LA. And I went on next door and I started writing crazy shit, you know, um, just weird posts that are kind of fun. And I've got people on there saying, you're, you know, God, what a breath of fresh air in this community. And so I'm having a housewarming party and I've invited them. They're going to come over, you know, let your freak, your freak flag fly. Wow. That's a tough one. Yeah. How do you Ten say times that? Fast. Yeah. Let your freak flag fly and don't be afraid yep. to, or if you're not a freak and you just want to have more creative people around you, go to the events, you know, go to the 100%. art opening. If there aren't any, make one. You know, I've done yep. that. I've had art openings in my house and I'm not, you know, I don't do that type of art a lot, but I just, I just come up with stuff and just post and say, Hey, come over. Yep. I've actually had people gather in a uh, parking lot in Santa Rosa. I posted, Hey, we're doing a asphalt liberation front. <laughs> Alf, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is a couple. Yo, of Willie. Yeah. We're going to uh, meet <laughs> in this parking lot and do what? I don't know. Let's just meet and liberate the asphalt. And I yep. met some new people, you know, just, just random stuff like that. Anyway, uh, 10 minutes later, that's the answer to your question. Those are great answers. I love those. I, uh, I really appreciate your time. There's so many things that we didn't even cover. We didn't talk about your wrestling career, your windsurfing, uh, <laughs> being a father, what it's like to be in, in uh, is it, do you pronounce it Aurelia? Aurelia. 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 Exactly. Like the drink. Yeah. That used to Pat be, pound, now it's Orangina. Pound for pound, probably as super nice of place as there is. Uh, pound for pound, there are, I think, more members per capita of the Super almost club. anywhere in the world. That's all yeah. you and Andrea, though, let's be honest. Uh, that's all right. That's good. Healdsburg's also way up there. You know, who they used to live of course. But, and that's you. <laughs> and Scott and Amber. Your music festivals. Uh, there's so much else that we didn't cover on here. I'm sure I'll have you back when I have, you know, um, a bigger platform. I would love to, you know, have you back on here. Just really grateful that you spent the time with us. Really, thanks, am. brother. Well, so, I'm, I'm I'm glad to be here. It's uh, I, I'm so all about what you're doing. Um, I think it's fantastic. I love how real you are about it. Uh, don't over curate because um, the real you is more important than the than the uh, the perceived you. And, um, oh, yeah, I'm just, I'm, uh, and, and the other thing is, yep. you know, for two guys who seem to know each other rather well and, and, uh, and speak like old friends, um, I look forward to, to sharing real time and space sometime, you know, um, we, uh, we, we, we have so much overlap in our life and, uh, and so many cool people that we both know and that have continued to say, you guys need to connect. Um, and I know that Andrew is equally stoked about that. So it'll happen. I, I was actually very excited. I thought I was going to spend 12 hours with you in a couple of weeks when I was going to be in a. Uh, layover in San Francisco, and that's when I learned that you moved south. I know, right? And, and there are no other cool people in San Francisco, have... so I'm screwed. There's still a super nice headquarters up in Santa Rosa, so uh, I'll figure that out. I'll try to make it happen. Um, where can people find you on the webs? What's the best place? So, uh, a couple of very um, underdeveloped spots uh, lifeadventurecompany.com. Which I've been putting way too little effort into actually keeping up, but that's the website for my um, coaching, speaking, adventure planning, lifeadventurecompany.com. Uh, pretty much just uh, Johnny Waite on Facebook. Um, won't be hard to figure out that it's me because we'll have a bunch of uh, super nice mutual friends. And, um, and then uh, participant underscore ribbon or underscore participant ribbon or maybe just participant ribbon that's how good i am at instagram i don't even know what my handle is i'll put uh, it I'll, I'll i'll spell it out <laughs> but uh ahead. but no but but in truth seriously i tend to puke a lot of my life up facebook um and uh and generally get back to those messages as quick as any so that that's your best bet if it's anything formal like coaching things like that um mm -hmm. you'll probably find out more of what you need to know on lifeadventurecompany.com great cool all right well thanks johnny really appreciate it appreciate you Love you, brother. Thank you, man. So there you have it, folks. A super nice conversation with the amazing Johnny Waite about his nice work. Don't forget to subscribe to Nice Work wherever you get your podcast, like wherever you're listening to it now. 
and most definitely leave a review, please. We'd love to hear from you, so message us on Facebook, Instagram, plain old email, todd at supernicecleb.com, or just call me on the phone on the nice line, 707-500-1580. If you have any questions, feedback, anything at all, love to hear from you. Please be a member of the Super Nice Club. All you have to do is follow us on Instagram or Facebook. And if you want to represent with some sweet, super nice street fashion, head over to superniceclub.com, use discount code SUPERNICEJOHNNY, and you'll save, you'll save 15%. Pretty cool. Stay nice. So what? Big deal.